um, I, I normally wear boots on a Sunday morning, and I l- lace them all the way up, because on a song like that, I'm going to jump out of tennis shoes if I'm wearing tennis shoes, all right? I mean, how good is it to remember death has been defeated, the Lamb of God has risen forever, forever, he is alive. Now, that's a spoiler alert for Easter coming soon to a church near you, but I just want to say every Sunday, every time we gather, we gather under the banner of the slain, risen lamb. That is good news, okay? That is good news. The risen lamb who says, you're welcome home. My grace is sufficient. Celebrate. No condemnation exists for you if you're under the blood of Jesus. Oh man, that's good news this morning. That's good news. All right, let's pray, and then we'll jump into the Word. Um, Jesus, thank you for being present. Thank you for being worthy of all worship, all glory, all honor, and praise. We love you, and we would pray that you would use this time to both build up, edify your body. Holy Spirit, mess with us. We invite you. Stir in us the hope of the gospel and invite us to live in light of all that you've already accomplished, Jesus. It's in your powerful, beautiful name that we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, can we say welcome to our third service who's joining us in the coffee shop? We love you guys. Have you ever had one of those moments in life where the um, way you think something is going to go in your head, and you have a version of the way that this is going to play out when I, when I say this or when I do this, and, and the way it actually plays out in, little, in real life is a little bit different. Anybody have, had an experience like that? I, when I was in high school, I was walking with a group of friends uh, along our track at, at our high school. There was about seven or eight of us in this group. And uh, on the track, I saw this one hurdle on the track sort of just inviting me, Paulson, jump me. Right? And so I'm thinking, um, well, well, why not? And so I swim out of my backpack and I start running. And the theme song to, um, uh, what's that? Uh, um, Chariots of Fire starts playing in my head, right? wind blowing in my hair and I am in my mind I picture gliding over the hurdle like a gazelle right and and all of my friends going you should run track what are you doing playing baseball so that's what's in my in my mind and as I'm running there about halfway through I have this thought I should run track and I'm not gonna jump this like a sissy I'm gonna go all out I'm gonna go legs straight forward um, so that I gain the applause of my friends and I'm running, legs straight forward. Legs straight forward happens to be under said hurdle. Evidently, I don't have the hops I thought I had. Um, And I go flying over this hurdle, and what I thought would be chariots of fire playing um, ended up being a gasp from my friends and myself as well as my elbows and arms dug into the track and my face met the track up close and personal. Not the way I pictured it. I mean, and so I pictured jumping over this and everybody would be like, oh, bravo. And everyone's like, oh, why? And, you know, as I'm like, as I'm going, um, I don't, I don't, I wake, you know, you know, you get up in those moments and go, not how I thought it would happen. I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. 
I, I think a lot of us, we picture life like, like a race, and indeed the scriptures are going to invite us to, um, to think on the reality that life is a race, but I, I, we, we, we are good at understanding that life is a race and that endurance is necessary, but, but I don't think we're as good at recognizing that life is a race and there's going to be a few hurdles along the track. Can I get an amen? amen. That there's going to be things that happen as we're walking with Jesus, if that's where you're at this morning, if you're, if you're on this journey of life and faith with Jesus, that there's going to be moments and there's going to be times when, when in the middle of the race that we're running, there's a hurdle and we have a decision at that point in time. And sometimes church teaches us, hey, if you have any hurdles along the path, if life gets difficult or if there's adversity, then here's the thing you need to realize. You're not on the path that God wants you on. You need to find a a different path. And it's unfortunate that that's been proposed because um, Scripture would teach the exact opposite. And, And I always sort of have as my lens, if Jesus couldn't have lived this theology, then it may be wrong. I'm just going to throw it out there. So um, were there a few hurdles along the path that Jesus walked? Yeah, I mean, let's talk, the, the cross would be a hurdle. <laughs> so we're on the same page, right? There's going to be a few hurdles for you and I as well. Look at the way that the author of the book of Hebrews puts it. He says this, therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in light of what he's just said about these people that lived lives of audacious, beautiful faith, he said, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which which clings so close. So here's the, the promise for believers longing to walk with Jesus, is occasionally, maybe even more than occasionally, There's going to be some sin that gets its claws into us that we have to wrestle free from. These are the hurdles of life. They come for every single one of us. And let us run with endurance the race that is what? Set before us. And here's what the author is trying to communicate. Here's what the author is trying to communicate is that not that we all will run the exact same race. What the author of Hebrews is communicating to us is that Jesus has a race for each of us to run. And what often starts to happen, at least in my life, you may be able to relate to it in yours as well, is that I start to look side to side to the race other people are running. Right? And I go, well, well, they're not walking through that. They haven't experienced that pain. They haven't experienced that hurt. I must be on the wrong path because mine seems to have a few hurdles. And what the author of Hebrews would invite us to is not to run somebody else's race, but to run the race that's set out before you. A few years ago, I was on a run, I think the last time I went on a run, um, along the Highline Canal Trail, and I passed Heritage High School, and I was running sort of towards Writers Vista Park, and I got there, and I, and I turned around, and as I was coming back, I found myself in the middle of a cross-country race. I think it's the Liberty Bell. Um, they, they run at Heritage. And, and I'm, I find myself, I'm running up on this group of high school students who's also running. Their shorts are a lot shorter than mine. But I think to myself, I can hang, right? And so immediately I kick into, I'm not in my mid-30s. I'm back in high school. And how dare you think you can beat me mode, right? And so I am just like, I am going for it. 
and about a quarter mile into going for it, which meant barely keeping up with the last kid, okay? Just so we're all clear. Uh, and about a quarter mile into that, I'm like, what am I, what am I doing? This is not my race. I'm not training for this race. I'm not prepared for this race. I have no business running this race. My shorts are not nearly short enough to be engaged in this race, right? Like, what am I, what am I doing? So I pretended to tie my shoe, let them all pass, right? Safe face, and... But hey, 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 will you look up at me for just a second? I, th- I think a lot of us live our Christian life in the same way. We're running, we're running the race that's set out for somebody else. And we have this unique ability, we'll call it that, to look side to side at how other people are running and what other people are doing instead of asking the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, what race do you want me to run? Not, race do you, not what, what race do you want her to run or him to run or that family to engage, but what race do you want me to run? In fact, the author of Hebrews goes on to give us some great advice. He said, how do we run this race? Well, well, we run the race looking to Jesus, the author, the one who started this whole thing, and the one who will carry it on to completion, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne. So here's what the author of Hebrews is going to do. He is going to invite us into a way of thinking, a way of believing, and a way of seeing the world that will shape us for the hurdles that come in life, that will shape us for the hurdles that come in life. And here's what he says. Use Jesus as your example, and don't look side to side, but look to Jesus. And here is your example. There were hurdles that he crossed, that he climbed over, and he was able to do that because of a perspective that he had about what awaited him on the other side. His conviction was not life is going to be easy and it's going to be peaches and cream. Peaches and cream? Scream, peaches and scream. (laughs) Going through a field. This is not not what he invites us to. He says, fix your eyes on me. Author, perfecter of of your faith. And this is the way to live. Keep the joy that's set before you in the forefront of your mind as you walk through every season of life. We have a lot of questions that we wrestle with as followers of Jesus. I want to give you one simple one to wrestle with this morning. Are you being obedient to what God has called you to do? Are you being obedient to what God has called you to do? And to become, not, not, not what somebody else is called to do, but what you uniquely are called to do and to become by the grace and mercy of Jesus. Here's how I want to say it. Our main point for this morning is simply this, that overcoming obstacles to obedience allows you, allows me. So I want to get, I want to get our desires and our affections in place before we wrestle with this concept. Overcoming obstacles to obedience allows you and I to walk in purpose and joy. And so if we can't answer the affir- to the affirmative to that question, am I doing what Jesus has called me to do, not somebody else to do, not looking side to side and measuring against someone else, but simply as I encounter God, am I doing what he's inviting me and calling me to do? And if the answer is no, the reality is I'm settling for a lesser amount of joy than the good shepherd wants to invite me to. I'm settling for a lesser amount of joy than what the good shepherd is inviting me to 
Can you look up at me for a moment? Jesus wants your joy more than you. And the pathway to joy is through living an obedient life to him. Running your race. The race that's set out for you. Charles Spurgeon um, uh, had a great sermon and in it he proposed obedience is the victory. Obedience is the victory. Walking with Jesus is the victory. And it is the very thing that allows us to jump over the hurdles in life instead of saying, you know what? This path is a little bit too hard. This path is a little bit too painful. And I don't think I can walk it. I don't think I can walk it. I want to show you the way that this plays out in the life of the Apostle Paul. Will you turn there with me to Acts chapter 21? Acts chapter 21, and I want to propose that in the narrative found in Acts chapter 21, we're going to see Paul encounter two of the most significant hurdles that you or I will ever face. Two of the most significant hurdles that you or I will ever face to living an obedient life with Jesus. Now, if you were with us over the last few weeks, you know that Paul has sort of ended his last, his third missionary journey. He's on his way back to Jerusalem where he says this is going to happen to him. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. He says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit or tied up by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await. So here's what he says. God's leading me. The Holy Spirit's prompting me. He's calling me, come, follow me to Jerusalem. And Paul goes, listen, I don't know what's going to happen there, except that I'm going to get beat up and put in prison. So, So he knows some things, just not all the details, and I think that's what he means. And so he's following Jesus in a way, shape, and form that you and I would wrestle to even comprehend. Yes? Yeah. Acts chapter 21, we pick up his journey as he's going towards Jerusalem, and here's what we read. It says, and when we, and this is Dr. Luke writing, sort of firsthand experience. He's with Paul on this journey. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. Verse 3. When we come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for the ship was to unload its cargo. Now just a quick time out. Um, A lot of detail if you're making up this story, yeah? I mean, if you're just sort of flying by the seat of your pants, just trying to write something that might inspire people, you're not going to put this much detail in. Verse 4, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. So Paul, uh, on this journey to Jerusalem, has a, in his mind is set, this is where I'm going and this is what I'm doing, and along the way, seeks to gather the church to give them one last high five to build them up and to encourage them. And they return the favor. Second part of verse 4. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, interesting, isn't it? Because the Spirit has clearly said to the Apostle Paul, in fact, he says it in such a way, he's like, I'm tied up with this conviction I need to go to, to Jerusalem. And then he meets followers of Jesus. 
And he encourages them, and they say, hey, Paul, the Spirit's telling us you're going to get beat up and imprisoned when you go to Jerusalem. Therefore, do not go. <laughs> okay, so, so we're going to encounter the hurdle in a little bit clearer way because he leaves them. Um, they cry on the beach and say goodbye to him. He travels to Caesarea. He finds himself there, and he's staying with Philip, one of the leaders of the early church, and we're going to pick it up in verse 10. Verse 10. We're going to see the same type of thing reinforced once again. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now, just, just for your background, I'm sure you remember this, but in Acts chapter 11, we encountered Agabus already. He came down and he gave a prophecy that there was going to be a famine in Jerusalem. The church um, took him at his word, stored up food, collected money, gave it to the church so that they would be sustained during that season. He's nails as a prophet. He is good at what he does. And he's going to speak another true word to them. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and his hands. And can we just take a quick time out before we just glaze over that and go, yeah, that's, that's in there. How comical the picture is of somebody saying, hey, can I, can I borrow your belt? And Paul's like, well, sure, here you go. And how long it would take somebody to bind their own feet all the way up, bind their own hands, and to be confined and deliver a prophetic word, okay? So the, you got to have the picture in your head, and he delivers, thus says the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt. Who's owner of the belt? And Paul's like, well, it's my belt. You just took it from me. Wrapped yourself up in it. And deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Fascinating, isn't it? What's been confirmed through the Spirit to Paul, you're going to get beat up and you're going to get hurt, is also confirmed by the Spirit through the people of God. And they have two different perspectives on what to do with this information. Paul says, this is my calling. Jesus, this is where you're leading and this is what you're doing in my life and this is where you're inviting me to be obedient and to walk with you. And his friends, who love him dearly, say, Paul, we do not want you to get hurt. We want you to be safe. Are you crazy? Why would you go there? Why would you do that? You're marching to your death. And Paul has this decision to make, and you and I will have this decision to make too. Will we, when we hear the voice of God, understand the call of God, either through our saying back to him, here I am, send me, and so we commit to saying, this is where I'm going to walk and this is what I'm going to do, or we hear his voice saying, Paulson or whoever, fill in your name, fill in the blank, this is what I'm calling you to, are we going to heed and listen to the clear calling and voice of God, or will we take into account and change course because of a few hurdles and worldly wisdom that's pushed our way. Tough decision. Tough decision. So here's how Paul stays true to his call. He does not let, and I would propose that for us to continue to walk with Jesus, we'll need to embrace a similar mindset. He doesn't let worldly wisdom trump divine calling. These are well-intentioned people who love him dearly, who want to protect him, but in doing that, propose a way of living and being that Jesus himself has spoken directly against. 
in Paul's life. And hey, you're going to encounter the same thing. I'm going to encounter the same thing. That, that, that often in our lives, making a decision based on faith is met on the other side with, well, there's fears, and there's risks, and there's uncertainty, and there's a few hurdles along the way. And which will define our lives? Fear or faith? That, that's for all of us to wrestle with, friends. What will be the grid through which we make decisions? Will it be faith, the goodness and providence of Jesus, or will it be fear that pushes in at every side? You can only have one of those as your guiding ethic, fear or faith. But you cannot have both. I tremble at the fact as I go to the park that we are, we're, we're raising currently, and I'm part of this, we're raising the helmet generation. I, I mean, some kids get to the park and have so, man, so many pads on that they have, it takes, them, it takes them minutes to just unclose to get ready to play. I mean, we're talking helmet like triple reinforced, we're talking elbow pads, we're talking knee pads, we're talking full body cast just in case. And here's what we communicate, and I'm, I'm sort of tongue-in-cheek a little bit, but what you can see is that fear drives so many of our decisions. I, for one, don't want to raise my kids under the banner of fear. Because here's what happens. The more we reinforce the world is to be feared, the more we will raise fearful kids. The more we will raise fearful kids who will be, and some of you in this room, we, you live in the same way where everything is a risk to be assessed and we've got to take account and we've got to sort of play it out and we make decisions based simply on worldly wisdom. Well, what happens when Jesus invites you to walk into a situation like he invited Paul to walk into? What happens then? See, what's at the forefront of our mind? Are we people who make decisions based on faith or make decisions based on fear? I love the way that the great author and greatly bearded man, George MacDonald, puts it. When he says this, he says this, a perfect faith would lift us absolutely above our fears. Now, I'm not knocking the church that says to Paul, don't go, we love you, you're going to get beat up, you're going to put in jail. I'm not knocking the parent that says, I want to have pads and I want to have a helmet, I want to have all this. And I'm not knocking that at all. But what I am saying is that the things that we value will determine the way that we see the world will determine the, the horizon for us and what's on it, what God invites us to. And if our perspective is God would never invite me into anything hard or anything that would be um, sort of subversive against my immediate happiness, we'll never make a decision based on faith and based on calling that might fly in the face of that. And there will be times, friend, there will be times when logical decision-making and divine calling are in conflict. What do you choose when that happens? What do you choose when that happens? What do you choose when, when, when you really sense this pressing of God on your life to be a foster parent or to adopt, and you know that there are going to be hurdles in that? What do you do? Are you obedient then? Am I? What do we do when we really sense God stirring us to, to share our faith in our workplace, but we also know that with that, along with that, comes some potential pushback? Are we, are we willing to go there with Jesus? Are we willing to be, we sent this call in our life to be radically generous with our stuff, 
but we also know it means parting with some of it. Are we willing to go there? Are we willing to follow? I, I never pretend to wear a cape with you. Every once in a while, though, I get it right. Um, and as Kelly and I were trying to pray through the calling of God in our lives almost three years ago to say whether or not we were going to come leave San Diego to Colorado. Um, and you guys do know it's 75 and sunny every day of the year there, right? Okay, just so we're on the same page. Um, we, we put out these fleeces, you know, and not a single one of them was wet. Like every, every single thing that we said, all right, God, if you really want us to go here and do that, then we're asking you just affirm it in this way. And here's, here's what we knew even as we put these fleeces out it would be disobedient for us not to go. It would be disobedient for us not to go. And so Kelly and I had this conversation one night. And, and I love having a wife that will speak directly to me, honestly, and tell me when I'm being a moron. <laughs> one of the reasons I married her. And she says to me, Ryan, she says, look up at me. No, she didn't say that. But... <laughs> That'd be awesome. It'd be awesome if she did. And she says to me, Ryan, 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 you, you know and I know that if we don't go, we're being disobedient. And I said, I know. I know. And you have some situations like that in your life too, I'm sure. Where maybe as you do the pros and cons, it doesn't come out on the side that you sense God calling you to step into. Can I encourage you, even if and when it doesn't, to be obedient to God rather than to rest on worldly wisdom is the invitation of discipleship. It is becoming a disciple. To say yes to him, to know his abiding joy as we follow and as we're obedient. Hurdle one is people who love us, who will say things directly against the call of God in our life because they love us and long to protect us and the decision we're potentially going to make doesn't make sense. Now, if we're going to follow Jesus and live a life of obedience that leads to joy and purpose, which I think we all want, we're going to have to clear that hurdle. There's a second one, too. Here, here's the way that the narrative continues. Well, here's, what, here's how Paul responds really quick. I love his response. Paul answered them, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not only uh, for I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He goes, you guys... I get it. I know what I'm walking into. But for me to listen to you and set it to God would be sin. And so I'm going to follow. And I know what I'm following, following into. And then the church plays the trump card. And they go, well, since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. The story continues, verse 17. And when we had come to Jerusalem and the brothers received us gladly. It's about 65-mile journey from Caesarea where they were before. And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and the elders were present. And after greeting them, he related one by one the things God had done amongst the Gentiles through his ministry. Verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified God. So these are the religious people, the church in Jerusalem, the leaders. They're going, oh my goodness. So Jesus is redeeming and saving people outside of Jerusalem and outside of Judaism. Wow. 
That's amazing. He talks about, I'm sure Paul shared stories about, we laid hands on them and they spoke in tongues and, and my handkerchief healed people and, and there was revival and riots that broke out. You wouldn't believe it. And the church is like, yes and amen. You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who believe. So the church in Jerusalem has grown too. And they are zealous for the law. And they've been told about you. So there's rumors going around about you, Paul. And the revivals are great. And the move of the Spirit is awesome. But, 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 we got some questions for you. Because you're not, you're, you're not really playing church the same way we're playing church here. We're still going to the temple we're still honoring all the Jewish laws. We're still abiding by all the customs. And Paul, we, just, we have a few questions for you. The move of God is great. The outpouring of the Spirit is wonderful, but it's not playing by our rules. And they've been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to walk according to our customs. So here's what they do. They, they give lip service to, oh, Paul, beautiful, wonderful, the outbreak of the gospel is awesome, but, 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 what we want to do is reinforce our, our real values, and it's not the Spirit of God moving, it's, it's you playing the religious game with us. So, um, are you really, are you zealous for the law, Paul? Are you? I mean, do you care about the law? Are you teaching these Gentile believers that they need to abide by the law? And second, Paul, it doesn't seem like you're abiding by our customs. And so they affirm, we long for the Spirit to break out, we long for people to be redeemed, but we, what we really want is people to be Jewish, to abide by the law, and to walk in our customs. Verse 22, it's not going to be up on the screen, but it is in your scriptures. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come, do therefore what we tell you. Now, just a quick time out. At this point, James, the leader of the church, and the elders should have stood up to the people who were starting the rumors and say, that's a rumor. That's not what Paul's doing. They, they, they don't grow a spine or a backbone enough to stand up to the people who are saying this about Paul. And so they're going to ask Paul to do the work that they should have done. Just a free side note. Good leaders, when, when, when things happen that are contrary to the scriptures, good leaders stand up and they stand on the scriptures. <laughs> they will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, evidently it cost a lot of money to shave a head back then. Just kidding. There were, there were sacrifices that went along with entering into these vows. They cost some money. Thus we will all know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance to the law. To make a long story short, Paul does that, shaves his head, enters into the vow, enters into the temple, is accused by the very people he's trying to win over of bringing a Gentile into the temple. He's beaten and he's put in jail, and that's the way that the book of Acts is going to continue to play out. Paul under captivity. I've struggled with this. And I go, Paul, why did, why'd you play along? Why, why didn't you just stand up and say, no, the grace of Jesus is sufficient? 
We don't need to enter back into the law of Moses. He's fulfilled the law. We have one priest. His blood testifies. He's good enough. He's seated. He's sufficient. Paul, why not go there with this group of people? And I think what you see in this passage that plays out is that Paul absolutely loves his fellow Jewish people. He loves them. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's going to recount, he's going to say, I'm a slave to no one. I am a free man, but I make myself a servant of all so that I may win some. To the Jew, I became a Jew. And I think this is what he's referring to. To the Greek, I've become like a Greek. And so he enters in hoping that he can win over these religious people (laughs) under the freedom that he has in Christ. But he, be, but he encounters a brick wall. These people that go, you don't look like us. You don't do exactly the things we want to do. Uh, you don't follow our customs. You don't follow the law. You don't do this. You don't do that. So you can't have any part of us. Ever encountered someone like that? Don't raise your hand. Don't point to anyone. <laughs> and we start to see what I would consider the second hurdle in the life of the Apostle Paul that he he clears, and he, it's this, is to never let religious zeal blind you to the power of grace. You're going to encounter some people that are more concerned with customs than they are with what the scriptures actually teach. You're going to encounter some people who they love their tradition so much that they're unwilling to actually go and wrestle with the words of scripture and the invitation of Jesus. And I've seen so many followers of Jesus get off track and off kilter when they encounter people like this who say, our customs and the law are above the grace and mercy that's new this morning in Jesus. And when they hit that hurdle, it takes them down. And here's what it looks like. It looks like guilt. It looks like shame. It looks like regret. And it's that abiding feeling in the pit of your soul, I don't add up and God's angry with me. If that's you, may I propose, you've tripped over one of the two hurdles that Paul encounters in Acts chapter 21. So I don't know where you stand and what your journey's been like, but I want to be a person, I want to be a pastor who stands on the scriptures, who says, and I want us to be a church that says, listen, there's some things that the scriptures teach absolutely clearly. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, fully God, fully man. He came, he lived, he died the perfect death. It atoned for the sins of everyone who has faith in him. He was in the grave three three days. He rose, conquered death, stepped out in victory, gives that victory to us, and invites us to live in light of his kingdom. I'll I'll stand on that. I'll fight you if you don't believe that. I mean, mean, we'll we'll go toe. Those are things I'm willing to to go to bat for, but can I just tell you, will you look up at me for just a second? There's a whole lot of things that followers of Jesus have made majors that should be minors. It should be minors. And there's a whole lot of things that the church is known for that we can't find anywhere in this book that should trouble us. That should trouble us. And I think so many, we just, we've tripped over that. We've tripped over that. I want to have room for people who I disagree with on non-essential issues. I want to listen and I want to seek to understand where people come from before 
I cast stones. In fact, I never really want to cast stones because I haven't seen that actually work for anyone. I want to be a body. I want to be a people where we embrace Jesus' invitation to live by a new command, the ethic of love as defined by love each other in the same way I've loved you. That's what I want to be a part of. That's what I want to be a part of. And I don't want to trip over the hurdle of having a religious zeal, oh yeah, type of experience with God. We're right, you're wrong. That blinds us to the power of grace that's the redemptive force in your life and mine that brings us back to the open arms of the Father. So I just have one simple question. Maybe it's not so simple. But one simple question. If overcoming obstacles to obedience is what leads to lives that are full of purpose and joy, my question is simply, am I, are you, being obedient to the call of God on your life. Not not the call of God on somebody else's life. The call of God on your life. Is there anything that you've said, listen, God, I know you've asked me to go there. I know you've called me to do that, but it just doesn't make sense, so I'm not going to go. I'm going to settle into the normal suburban life that my friends live, even though I know you're calling me out of that. I know you're calling me to embrace a life as a missionary, maybe. I know you're calling me to be radically, ridiculously generous. I know you're calling me, fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. I think a lot of us have put ourselves on the sideline because we aren't willing to say back to Jesus, I get that there's going to be hurdles in this life. But for the joy set before me, I'm willing to jump. I'm willing to endure. It's the way you did things, and I'm sure it's the way you're inviting me to do things too. Friend, is there anything you need to lay down at his feet in order to really truly follow after him? Paul says, I'll I'll follow you even to death. I, I don't know about you, but I'm convicted that I'm not sure I'm willing to go that far. What about you? What about you? Let's bring it to his feet and ask him to change our hearts and our lives that they may more fully reflect the glory of the gospel as found in the one who says, for the joy set before me, I will endure. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we we invited you to stir us, to, to mess with us a little bit. And my prayer in closing would be the exact same. For each one of us, Lord, would you cause us to wrestle with this question, are we, are we being obedient to what you've called us to? Are we willing to step into even things that may not make a lot of sense on the surface or be completely illogical because we hear your voice and your beckoning and your invitation? Jesus, above all, we want to be people who follow you knowing that as we're obedient and as we overcome obstacles to obedience, that you invite us to purpose and joy deeper than we could ever possibly imagine. So stir us. Move us. We invite you, pry our hands open. Take whatever you need to take. 
that we might wholly and totally follow after you. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen.